0: Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times with your NXT Vengeance Day Instant Analysis Edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back once again, and we are here just minutes After the conclusion of 2024 NXT Vengeance Day, the first premium live event of the year for the NXT brand, we are here to break down everything that happened on this show, all six matches, the results, the analysis from the results, projections going forward, and of course, grades not only for the individual matches, but the show as a whole. We have an absolute ton to get to as we always do here for these instant analysis shows. So allow me to remind you off the top that the award-winning Getting Over Wrestling podcast is all about defy. So please head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. It is also where you can DM and tweet us questions and comments that we will read on the show. And it is where you can vote in our pre- and post-show polls surrounding premium live events and pay-per-views just as you were able to for those who already follow us tonight for NXT Vengeance Day. Please also remember... I happen to love the number... And I hope you do as well, because for $5 a month or 50 for the entire year, you can become an official getting overhead. Just visit buymeacoffee.com slash gettingover. Sign up, you get bonus audio, the fastest five minutes in professional wrestling, instant recaps of Raw, NXT, Dynamite, and SmackDown every single week, along with exclusive news posts. Generally, every Friday, you can get all of that at buymeacoffee.com slash over. Over Now, before we get into the NXT Vengeance Day instant analysis for anyone who perhaps was not paying attention to the podcast feed this weekend and you were like, oh, well, Getting Over promised us a uh, NXT Vengeance Day instant analysis. So that's clearly the next show that's going to be published in the feed. Uh-uh, that is not correct. In fact, I don't know why I'm doing the uh-uh on myself when we actually now have a sound drop for that. No, no! Because of what happened Friday night on SmackDown. Vintage Chris Vanini and your boy the Silver King. We jumped on the horn to tape an instant reaction podcast to the booking of Roman Reigns against The Rock at WrestleMania 40, but really more than that, booking the excommunication, if you will, of Cody Rhodes, seemingly from the night two main event of that show. Despite the fact that he is a Royal Rumble winner, we went 75 minutes instant reaction style. Of course, we do have the new WWE podcast coming up this Tuesday. But before you listen to that, you absolutely have to listen to this instant reaction show because a lot of the points on that show are probably not going to go over a second time. We're going to expand on those this coming Tuesday. So again, it's titled WWE Shocker, Roman Reigns versus The Rock at WrestleMania 40. What about Cody Rhodes? Make sure you listen to that show before the WWE show on Tuesday. Just wanted to throw that out there. Okay. Okay. With all of that now at the way, let's get to the meat of this show, your NXT Vengeance Day instant analysis. Now, we're going to break this down by storyline and match importance. And of course, we're going to wrap everything up at the end. That's what we always do here at this point. I would normally crack a cold one, but when the Silver King is riding solo, doing the show by himself, I don't want my beer to get uh, warm. So I'm not going to do that. I'll take one sip and it'll sit here for however long we tape this podcast. We're saving it. I know it's been a while, uh, but I think Chris and I promised you all that we would do day drinking uh, for the uh, WWE Elimination Chamber instant analysis coming up later this month. So we'll get back to the beer at some point, but we're nice and sober here as we give you the NXT Vengeance Day instant analysis. Let's start with where the show started, the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic Final, Trick Williams and Carmelo Hayes against Baron Corbin and Braun Breaker. So backstage during the kickoff show, Corbin and Breaker did their fun Wolfdogs banter. Corbin was proud of Breaker for having main roster interest on him. Braun expressed appreciation for Baron, and they got into it about entrances and their name. Just funny stuff. I again came out of this thinking, I just have no desire to see the Wolfdogs come to an end anytime soon. Like, they work so well off one another, and it suddenly, it's just a suddenly found genius team. That's the best way I can probably put it. Wade Barrett joined for commentary for the entire show. Booker T was absent for health reasons. Obviously tough for Booker to miss a show with Trick Williams in the main event, Roxanne Perez in a title match. Health comes first. Obviously hope he's okay. Wade was hysterical right off the bat. He tried to do Booker's intro for Trick and dropped a shimon like for Michael Jackson, thinking he was trying to imitate Booker in a way. It was hysterical. Uh, the Wolf Dogs ended up coming out in matching motorcycles. They had an awesome entrance, the entrance of the night. Trick was super over with Mello getting mixed reactions when the music changed to him. Breaker took Hayes out with a flip over airborne cutter for a huge pop. Braun later had a strange botch running the ropes. His arm slipped under instead of over the rope, which led to his head and neck bouncing off of it instead of his shoulders. He got a laceration between his eyes and he also got a rope burn right on his neck. But other than that, he was fine. The Wolf Dogs combined for an assisted catch power slam with Trick getting the hot tag. Mello hit first 48 on Braun as Trick took out Corbin inside. Breaker threw Mello into Trick's arms and then hit a German suplex, which led to a follow-away slam combination that got another really big pop. Then Breaker hip tossed Corbin outside the ring into Trick and Mello, with Corbin adding deep six on Williams and Braun doing a flying senton bomb outside. Corbin caught Mello flying when he was trying nothing but net, but Trick saved Mello from End of Days. Breaker squared up for a spear. Mello completely sacrificed himself, jumping in front of Trick. He was meant to shove him. Uh, unfortunately, that was a dumb move because he was the legal man in re- reality in kayfabe. And with Williams flying outside the ring, he was supposed to be pushed. He kind of had to throw himself out of the ring. The heels got the one, two, three after the spear to win the Dusty Cup. Now, this was an exceptionally well-booked and... It was a pretty well-wrestled match, but it was sloppy with a few missed moves and some strange deals involving the ropes. I think they were too loose and not tightened all the way, which became problematic. That's not the wrestler's fault. If those ropes were correct, there still would have been a couple miscues in the match, but nowhere near enough where it would like affect our enjoyment of it or the grade or anything like that. It was just overall a bit too much for a match involving four people this talented. As I said, Hayes sacrificing himself, that was noble. It was also incredibly dumb in the confines of the match itself, given he was the legal man. Now, the finish could have gone with Melo smartly not you know, stepping in front for Trick, letting Trick take the spear, and then hitting nothing but net coming back on Breaker, which would have been the correct play to win the match. And then Corbin could have picked him up for end of days, and the heels could have won anyway, so Melo sacrificing Trick doesn't even pay off, and Trick's angry at him. They could have gone in that direction. But that's not only more complicated, it's counter to the story that creative was actually telling on the show, which we will get to in a minute. Mello looked like the good guy coming out of this, which was entirely the point to set up the segment that followed. The match was awesome from an individual spot standpoint. The Wolf Dogs continued to be incredible working together. There were numerous big spots that popped the audience and made this a strong opener. And we ultimately got the right result with a sensible finish for both storylines to kind of continue. Plus, at least someone got to finish their story. Nine years after losing the Dusty Cup final, Corbin got his dub. Extremely tough match to grade because of all the mistakes. Mello was not on his game totally. Trick showed that he's still green. The Wolfdogs were nearly perfect. I'm gonna go with 3.75 stars B plus because the whole was more successful than the sum of the parts. And the crowd was buying every bit of it. If it was executed properly, like 100% perfect, this would have been an A-level match. I could see someone disagreeing and being like, that's nothing more than a B, and I accept that. I might actually go lower on rewatch, but some of those big spots, along with the storytelling elements, it sold it for me, but it couldn't ever get past that. That's the ceiling for the match, just because of how much went wrong in so many different parts of it. Uh, Later in the training room, Melo told Trick that he took the spear from him to preserve Trick, for the title match, because while the Dusty Cup was important, he's got to win the NXT Championship. Williams said, Hayes having his back like that means everything. And Melo cut off Trick, assuming that he knew he didn't want him by his side for the main event. But Trick turned it. He said, clearly Melo has his best interests in mind. He needs his brother with him. And that's what I was saying about the booked match finish working better than my idea, because this was the story they wanted to tell. Either Trick and Melo mending their relationship, or Trick letting his guard down to the conniving Mello. It was compelling for viewers because we were watching it to find out, hey, is this legit or is it 3D chess on Mello's part? But it was another really strong storytelling element, another strong character building moment. And it just continued what has been some excellent work from Mello, Trick, and everyone else involved with it across uh, the last few months in NXT. So that brings us to the main event, which was for the NXT Championship, Ilya Dragunov against Trick Williams. Now, Melo came out wearing a leather jacket, extremely similar to the one Shawn Michaels had on during the infamous barbershop turn on Marty Jannetty. Trick busted up his lip in the opener, but it like exploded early in this match. Blood totally covering his face early after a Constantine special from Ilya. Melo constantly motivated Trick outside, and at one point, he physically lifted him up, only for off to catch Williams with a flying drop kick while draped on the ropes. Trick slapped Ilya across the face and then saw a huge kick countered into a slam. Williams countered H-bomb and actually hit Hayes' first 48, but could not cover. Trick went on a run with a flatliner and caught Ilya with an uppercut that sent him over the ropes. Then Williams did a urinagi off the ring apron onto the floor, which was nasty as hell. With Ilya kind of landing on his feet first, maybe they did that on purpose to like cushion the fall. Melo got into Ilya's face talking trash, only for Dragunov to push him, with Hayes inadvertently flying into Williams' knee. Trick still delivered an H-bomb back in the ring, Ilya's own move, for a false finish. Williams' knee gave out when he tried his flash knee finisher, so Dragunov caught him with a toss powerbomb and an H-bomb, then he dragged Williams to the corner for a flying H-bomb and a false finish. Mello was visibly depressed that he almost lost Trick, and then he was really excited that he kicked out. Trick dodged Torpedo Moscow and came back with Trouble in Paradise for another 2.9 false finish. Mello jumped on the ring apron with Trick going after Ilya, who moved, leading to the referee, who was turned around looking at Mello, and Mello both getting knocked out of the ring. Then Trick hit the flash knee, and a second referee ran in, but it was late, of course, because he had to run down the ramp for another false finish. Trick checked on Mello with Ilya taking advantage. He had a pump knee and an H-bomb, but Trick blocked a flying H-bomb with his knees. The crowd was unhinged at this point. Simultaneously, Ilya went for Torpedo Moscow as Trick tried his flash knee, but it was Dragunov who landed the finisher and registered the 1-2-3 to retain the NXT championship in what can only be described as a banger. Mello picked Trick up after the bell, telling him he was so close, so close that it will always be Trick and Mello gang and that he was his boy. And then just as he released the embrace and the lower third graphic came on screen, Hayes took out William's name. Then he destroyed it 11 times with a chair, draped a new TMG shirt, Trick Mellow Gang shirt. I don't know why they haven't been selling that. It's a banger shirt. Tri- uh, draped it over him and said, there can only be one and I am him. Now the microphone didn't pick that up. It was clear what he said and I could read his lips. It was very obvious. The crowd immediately chanted, fuck you, Mellow and... Melo sucks simultaneously, both extremely loud. Then as he was walking out, Melo like pointed at individual fans saying it's your fault. It's your fault. It's your fault. Presumably jealous that Trick is so over with them and he's not. This whole deal completely freaking delivered. First, the match. Wow. Like it started slow. Trick's inexperience was apparent early, no question. But once business picked up, it was all you could want and more. The sequences were smooth, there were some great fake-outs, presence ringside, and the way that was utilized to give Trick an injury and multiple excuses for the loss with Melo appearing and possibly actually being genuine the entire time, that was great. And then there were probably two occasions in which the match could have ended with Ilya winning, only for us to get two hope spots for Trick before the ultimate finish and the Dragunov title retention. Even the literal end was perfect. Finisher versus finisher, happenstance that Ilya made contact and was the one who won the match. Talk about putting over a challenger. This was excellent across the board. Now the post-match, it could have happened the same way after Trick won the title. Mello happy and surprised that it happened, and then jealousy eventually takes over soon after the fact. And there's no question the crowd was ready to absolutely explode if Trick pulled it off. He is so over that you generally want to strike while the iron is hot in a situation like that. But I get it. He's really not ready for the title right now. And Dragunov is an excellent, dominant, super strong champion. Still, despite any of that, or all of that, I should say, Trick got to look as good as possible, losing a match to Ilya, And viewers were left to believe that he might actually have won if Hayes was nowhere to be found. The allusion to HBK's leather jacket all the way through the lower third fakeout, it made the turn perfect at the end. I also get to say, I believe I had that in terms of the whole finish as it played out. Little Barry Horowitz for the Silver King. I love how much of HBK has rubbed off on Mello, both in reality and kayfabe. And this makes NXT on Tuesday now a must-see show, because now we're awaiting Melo's complete explanation. The character work was terrific all night, including during the match. The storytelling in the match was exceptional. And somehow, all three guys came out looking great. Dragunov as champion, Williams as a screwed-over challenger, and Melo as an absolute piece of shit turncoat heel. He got more heat than anyone in NXT since Tommaso Ciampa. That's how big this was. Mello also looked great physically. He was wearing those black jeans, which people always look evil when they wear those. And He has a six pack, was on full display. The guy just looked like a star. I'm just not sure how this could have been done better outside of Trick being more experienced and wrestling better in the first half of the match. And that's tough to ask. It still is a developmental property after all. We even knew the turn was coming, yet it was still executed exceptionally well. I'm at 4.5 stars and an A, was the match of the night, the NXT match of the year to this point. Now that I'm thinking about it, it might even be the WWE match of the year to this point through a month. I'll see if I can get to A-plus territory on rewatch. Not sure about that. Let me also reiterate, Ilya Dragunov is one of the best wrestlers in the entire world. Full stop. Now, looking ahead to Stand and Deliver, I could definitely see a triple threat match. It feels like it should really just be Trick and mellow one-on-one because that's the feud. But then what is Dragunov going to do? He needs a title challenger. And I'm not exactly sure who could step into that role unless it was Breaker in a send-off match. So he might be in the tag team title match or holding the titles already come that show. Or they would have to go back to Corbin and that's already happened, that feud. Or they'd have to go back, and Breaker, by the way, has happened as well. Uh, or they'd have to go back to DiJack, and that's happened already. Also, Trick has happened and Mellow has happened. So you look at the roster right now and the top tier, and there's just not a clear challenger for Ilya if it's not one of these guys. But then if they have that match, then you say, well, don't we need to get Trick and Mellow one-on-one? You would think so. So I don't know. As of right now, my guess, pure guess, is it winds up being a triple threat match at Stand and Deliver. Trick pins mellow to win the title, meaning Ilya loses it without actually taking the fall. And then Melo and Dragunov get called up to the main roster. That's where I am right now. It's Sunday, February 4th. A lot can change in a couple months, but that's where I stand at this moment. We'll see if it delivers. Look how the Silver King did that right there. Uh, Let's move to the Women's Championship. Lyra Valkyria against Roxanne Perez. Backstage during the kickoff show, Valkyria was surprised by Tatum Paxley, who originally promised to stay in Orlando, but said she couldn't stand not having her back. Lyra tried to ditch her backstage, going in opposite directions. Now, this was the mid-show main event. Perez hit a double-jump springboard moonsault, then took a tough German suplex on her neck, but she was okay. Roxy came back with a hurricanrana off the ropes and pop rocks, only for Valkyria to roll over like a second time and avoid the cover. Just then, Lola Weiss ran down, executing her NXT breakout tournament contract. She hit the spin kick on Paxley, who had suddenly appeared ringside. Then she hit the same kick on Valkyria, knocking her out of the ring. Vice dodged Pop Rocks and locked Perez in some kind of MMA choke. Then she hit Trouble in Paradise for a two-count, followed by a triangle choke. Valkyria broke it with her old splash. Lola hit some machine gun kicks and rear view on both women in the corners. Roxy came back with a combo Russian leg sweep DDT. And she also hit Tope Suicidas through both sides of the ring. Valkyria countered a flying crossbody into Nightwish. Her finisher finally got a freaking name for a double false finish with Lyra and Lola both attempting covers on Roxy after that move. Vice had a nasty spinning backfist on Valkyria that made a loud noise. It must have collided with her collarbone or something like that. Lyra caught her with a kick. Perez took Valkyria out of the corner with Pop Rocks. Paxley saved the cover by running into the ring and jumping on Roxy. And then Valkyria countered Vice's finisher, which is apparently called Buenas Noches, good name, with Nightwish two new finisher names in this match. Fantastic. To retain the women's championship. Perez attacked Vice backstage uh, after because she was pissed off at her, given her involvement in the match. So this was holy chaos, Batman. Like this went from solid and fun to wild and crazy with the quickness. Let's start with the main criticism, which is that the NXT breakout contract is treated like money in the bank. We bashed this when Obafemi did it and we've bashed it on prior occasions. And we crapped on it when AEW did it with Luchasaurus and Christian Cage. I'll repeat, if anything should be treated like Money in the Bank, it should be the Iron Survivor Challenge contendership, not a breakout contract for a neophyte wrestler. It does not make sense. That critique out of the way, I thought this played out perfectly. Vice is nowhere near ready for the women's title. So utilizing her contract this way made a good match even better. It created the unpredictable chaos element and it just added Lola in, which I thought would have dragged it down, but instead, it was her best match by a mile in her NXT career. There were some real creative false finishes and sequences, plus Lola didn't win, which was obviously important. That would have been the worst outcome of the entire deal. Lyra and Roxy were doing great on their own, and then business picked up when Lola threw a wrench into everything. Though, as I intimated, it just felt like a missed opportunity to strap Roxy back up while protecting Lyra. Instead, now Perez is clearly going to fight Vice because she butted into her match. But I guess, like, doesn't she also want to go after Paxley because she directly cost her the win by breaking up her fall? They already fought a couple weeks ago, so maybe she goes through both of them. But let's say Roxy beats Lola. Then what? Like, does she get another chance at stand and deliver or does she need to earn another chance still? Lyra is doing well with the title. Don't get it twisted. We said this on the ultimate preview, but Roxy should be in that match on the biggest show of the year especially with Tiffany Stratton now up on the main roster and especially with her losing her singles opportunity here. I definitely believe she should have one here unless they are saving that for a big pop at stand and deliver, but this was damn entertaining. Roxy was the MVP by far. I was in the high three-star range until the cash-in. And again, even though I disagree with like the thought process behind it, it there's no question it made the match better and more exciting. I went four stars and an A- minus for this. North American Championship, Oba Femi defending against Dragon Lee. Femi looked like an absolute freaking monster in his entrance, which used lights and lasers and Nigerian colors. Dragon attacked at the bell. Femi quickly got the upper hand. Oba hit three uranagis into his knee before Dragon countered him into a type of octopus hold. Dragon followed with some quick offense, a pumped knee, and an impressive liger bomb out of the corner just because of Oba's size. Femi ate another pump knee on the ring apron, but straight swatted Lee out of thin air with a chop, very Keithly like. Dragon countered and attempted a table chokeslam. He countered that with a DDT onto the lid, which was on the floor. So Oba picked him up and choke slammed him into a desk chair. Dragon countered Femi's finisher into Hurakarana trap cover, only to eat a Lariat, snake eyes, a toss slam, and the pop-up power bomb as Femi retained the North American championship. Now the result was expected given Oba just won the title and he possesses the significant size advantage. Not to mention that Dragon is already on the main roster. The match was far better than I expected, but the crowd was surprisingly weak. Like, Oba was impressive, Dragon was flashly, the match was good, there weren't botches, but the crowd was just quiet the whole time. It was very odd. There were two matches in particular where they were like that. In retrospect, this would've been better in the third spot of the show instead of the fifth. The sixth man should've gone as the popcorn match before the main event. That was a card placement mistake and it was the only one. Swapping those two, everything else was perfectly placed. Oboe was showcased well here. Dragon took a loss that will easily be forgotten because he's on the main roster. I went 3.25 stars in a B. Might go a tad higher on rewatch, but I'm not sure just because it was good but not great and it worked but it didn't get a great crowd response. And that's usually where I fall when a match is like that. Uh, DiJack fought Joe Gacy in a no disqualification match. Now, this was second on the card. Dijak had an eye-catching spotlight entrance. Gacy, unfortunately, came out to his same theme, and they still had the yellow mask graphics on the Titantron. I'm just surprised they didn't make more changes given that his character has been working and it's not the cult leader character anymore. So I don't understand why the Titantron was the same. That was so strange. DiJack pulled out a nightstick at the bell, so Gacy pulled a baton out of his tights. Gacy put Dijak in a chair, hit a running somersault off the steel steps, then he dumped a bunch of figurines and toy cars onto a ringside table. Dijak put a trash can over Gacy and tried to lariat, but Gacy used himself as a battering ram to knock it down. He basically ducked and leaned forward and was a battering ram. I've never seen that spot before. DiJack tried to move off the ropes, but Gacy pushed him backwards, crashing through the table that was covered in toys. DiJack came back with a choke bomb into a chair. That was a false finish. DiJack wrapped Gacy in a trash can again, but Gacy caught him on the top rope for an avalanche release German suplex. Dijack totally missed the can though. Gacy then binded Dijack with duct tape all over his eyes. I said binded, I meant blinded and beat him with a kendo stick. Dijack countered Gacy's finisher into Feast Your Eyes, but was still blinded and could not find him. So he wasn't able to make the cover. Fans chanted, you can't see him, which I thought was pretty damn inventive. Gacy did his middle rope, handstand, and hit a DDT onto a chair, plus a splash onto a chair. That was another false finish. Gacy then tried his handspring lariat finisher, but Dijak caught him flipping with the nightstick and then hit Feast Your Eyes for the win. But Gacy smiled while he was knocked out flat on the canvas. During the ultimate preview, I suggested this had a chance to be the sneaky match of the night. And it's tough to argue that they didn't try because this was undoubtedly a banger. It put Gacy over as a legitimate threat while also selling his gimmick, which, as I said, was able to advance despite defeat. Dijak badly needed a win like this coming out of basically losing every major feud that he's had since returning to NXT. The work was super smooth. There were plenty of big spots as well as tongue-in-cheek moments. I might actually grade this a bit higher on rewatch, but I'm at four stars, A-. minus. It felt like it needed some more dramatic moments to be higher, but in terms of a car crash match, really tough to ask for more than what these guys did. It worked great for both of them. D'Angelo family fought out the mud in a mixed six-person tag team match. This was third on the show. This is the match I was talking about exchanging with the North American title match. OTM rode out in lowrider bikes, and the family attacked from behind once they got in the ring. This was Jada Parker's second non-battle royal match and Adriana Rizzo's first. That was apparent because she went too early on a cannonball spot with the guys Like at the beginning of the match. They had to stop her, move her to the side. They did something else and then they did the spot. OTM did the same Corbin breaker toss power slam move. Tony D'Angelo got the hot tag and Lucian Price sold so freaking well, the referee actually gave him a head injury check. He kissed stacks, Tony did, and then did the tope hip toss with him. Then Rizzo did a froggy crossbody outside into all three heels. It was actually pretty good height, pretty impressive. D'Angelo added the fisherman suplex bomb finisher in the middle of the ring for the win. This was a strong TV main event on a PLE. And it was a good look for bottom of the card match, but it didn't feel like it really had a place on the show. And I was a bit surprised the crowd didn't react more given the family is over. But this may have been like a P-break match given the first two were so hot. And that's why I felt like it should have been in the fifth position. There were a number of nice spots, but as you heard, nothing too notable overall. It was definitely the right winners, like the family of the champions. They already beat the heels in tag action. But I will say, OTM did step up their game here. They're looking less and less green by the week, which is, of course, how it should go. But there's something here. I've said it before with the entirety of OTM. Lucian Price, Bronco Nema, Scripps, Jada Parker. It just works. Uh, I'm at 2.75 stars. C plus, again, maybe go up a quarter star to that B minus range on rewatch. Now, those were all the matches on the card. There are a couple other notable elements that we should be discussing. The 2024 Women of Chase U Calendar was indeed on sale at the venue and J.C. Jane was hawking them, Thea Hale was signing some copies. I thought we'd get some type of storyline build out of this, like someone having a problem with the calendar, trying to steal the money, something. But they were really just following through on the storyline, and that's totally fine. Riley Osborne came up and asked Thea out for Valentine's Day in a second segment, and he saved her from Lexus King's harassment in a third segment later. This basically just continued the storyline they were telling on TV from the past week. Now, the calendar is available, not just in person, but through WWE Shop and Fanatics. And we actually tweeted a link where we can earn commission if you are interested. It's on our Twitter account, obviously, at Getting Overcast. But not only that, and this is something we've had for a while, but I've never actually put onto anything, so I probably should tell you all. I added to our link tree, which is the main link where you can get our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. You can access buymeacoffee.com slash gettingover you know, Stitcher, anywhere that you want to listen to the podcast, you can find it on this link, which is in our bio. I added to that link, a WWE shop, fanatic shop URL. And if you are ever going to buy WWE merchandise, please just use that link. It costs you nothing. The prices are the same. You can still use your discount codes, all that stuff, but it gives us a small percentage for the referral. So again, I'll repeat, if you're ever buying WWE merchandise, use the link in our bio. We would greatly appreciate it. Now, there was a vignette, if you can call it that, it was really just words on the screen, teasing a debuting wrestler, or maybe wrestlers. It said, man has three faces, one the world sees, one his family sees, and the real one no one sees, but reflects the evil he truly possesses. There were no further clues, but it's intriguing they're starting this on a PLE, when NXT usually does teases on TV, leading to a PLE reveal. It's most likely for the Boa and Dante Chen team, given the black and white nature of it, matches the face paint, and they have really yet to re-debut even though we've got a lot of teases in the background of other segments. But given it's a Japanese proverb and they're Chinese, and I believe it's called Singaporean, I I assume that's how you say it. I apologize if I got that wrong. Um, That doesn't necessarily fit them, but unless they're just saying it's an Asian proverb, which I I guess that could work. But it could also work as a long-term tease for Julia, though she's still under contract to stardom. So that would be very long term. You could also maybe do Tama Tonga. That would make sense. But he's not Japanese. Obviously, he's Tongan, despite the fact that he wrestled in Japan for the biggest part of his career. I'm going to guess it's Boa and Dante Chen, which, look, I mean, no hate on either of them. It's not the most exciting thing to have a vignette for. You know what I mean? So we'll see. We'll find out sooner than later. But that's my guess as of right now. Now, Kiana James and Izzy Dane had a Business meeting about their futures, deciding to go after the NXT Women's Championship and Kalani Jordan, respectively. It was really nothing more than that. I don't need to see Kiana and Lyra again, so I don't know what they're doing there. Malik Blade and Idris Sanofe did the worksheet that Brinley Reese asked them to do, looking at the positives, despite their loss in the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic. Uh, then they had to share like some negatives. They talked about communication. Nathan Frazier and Axiom came in talking shit, so Brindley suggested a match between them. I'm kind of into her character. It's immensely corny but there's also something kind of like fun and unique about it. But this was just to put a tag team match on TV. Ava backstage was expressing her optimism with how Vengeance Day was transpiring. She announced Roadblock on March 5th. That's a TV special ahead of Stand and Deliver. And then earlier in the show, Battleground was announced as the premium live event after Stand and Deliver. That's gonna be May 26th. This was an extremely weird segment because they had already promoted Battleground and it's not like Ava was gonna sell tickets or anything. It was out of place, unnecessary. And I don't don't even remember any GM ever doing something like this before. So I just thought it was strange. And then lastly, this is not really a storyline or anything, it's just a note from the show. There were definitely some pro Cody Rhodes and anti-rock signs in the crowd. Many of them actually made TV. I'm not saying there were a ton, but there were a handful and they were visible at different times. And then at some point during the middle of the show, they put up a WrestleMania 40 press event graphic, and they promoted it simultaneously on Peacock it not only got booed by the crowd at first, then the crowd chanted, we want Cody. And I know some people are going to say, well, Silver King, I saw the clip. It wasn't that loud of a chant. Got to remember, it's 3,500 people. That sounded like 3,500 people chanting, we want Cody. And if you want to say it was only 2,000, then fine. It was only two thirds of the crowd, maybe something like that. Point is, it was an NXT show and they were booing the graphic and chanting, we want Cody. And certainly, we're going to find out what happens this coming Monday on Raw when it does look like, by the way, Cody Rhodes will be in a bull rope match with Shinsuke Nakamura. And I've seen a lot of people say, this makes no sense. They're just doing it so that Cody doesn't cut a promo on the show. Folks, Like I understand everyone's angry about the Rock Cody situation. I am too, okay? We talked about it already, like I said, on the Instant Reaction podcast, 75 minutes Chris and I spent talking about it. I promise you will probably end up spending... At least another 45, if not an hour. Who knows what's going to happen Monday Night in Raw? We're going to talk about plenty on Tuesday's WWE show. But just because you're angry at things doesn't mean you have to like throw logic out the window. This is what happened, just so everyone knows, between Cody and Shinsuke. Now, their feud ended. We all know this, right? Cody eliminated Shinsuke in the Royal Rumble. So what they did was they ran an angle on a house show where backstage Nakamura attacked Rhodes, obviously pissed that he eliminated him from the Royal Rumble. They're going to do the bull rope match that's going to be the end of it. They've been practicing this bull rope match on live events for like two months. So they're putting it on TV. It's a one-off. We have two months until WrestleMania. Cody may still get screwed. Maybe they reverse course. I don't know. But the Nakamura booking is no indication of that. It's just a one-off thing and it does make sense for the show. So I just want to put that out there. We can criticize this shit all we want. We're going to. We already have. We're going to do it a lot more, I promise. But this makes sense. And I just don't really like people saying it doesn't because it's clearly, it's right there. All right, so that was the breakdown, your NXT uh, Vengeance Day instant analysis with a touch of WWE main roster there at the end. Let's go ahead and move over to our grades portion of the show. We'll start with the pre-show expectation grades, and then we'll go with the final grades for NXT Vengeance Day. So pre-show, I sat with a B plus. I believe I said it was a pretty strong card, seemed like one match too many, and it just had a real high ceiling, a real opportunity to over-deliver. And it sounded like you mostly agreed. Uh, 29.5% of you were at A, 63.6 B, 6.8 C, no Ds or Fs that averaged out to 88 out of 100, which is a firm B plus, which is I think exactly, I forget if I gave a number on the ultimate preview, but if I did, it would have been that. It was a firm, flat, right in the middle, 88. So now we go and move to our post-show grade and I'll start with your grade as listeners, our getting overheads, and then I will go ahead and follow up with mine. The percentages, and there's still some time left in the poll as I tape this, I put it a little bit longer than usual, but generally once we get to this point, the percentages don't change that much. 60.8% A, 34.4% B, 3.2% C, and 1.6% D to F, which of course is bullshit because there's no way that was a D or F show that averages out to a 90.5, which technically rounds up to 91, which is a firm A minus from all of you. And I do think that's appropriate. You know, when we grade shows in totality, it is not about the sum of the parts. Like you take the match grades and add them and average them and that's your show grade. Because that's not what it is. It's entertainment, it's storytelling, the crowd, it's everything, presentation. It all comes into this nice package. And I'll tell you, as we were going through most of the show, I was kind of saying to myself, you know, it's probably going to be like a low B plus, like an 87, somewhere around there. And then we got to the main event. I knew it would be good. I did not think the main event was going to be great, like truly great as a wrestling match and a post-show moment. And it was. It just was. Um, Trick and Ilya over-delivered my expectations, exceeded them completely. And the post-match angle was about what I expected, but just the way it was executed was so immensely well done. So I'm actually right with you. I mean, I wish I could almost tweet out my number grade before I read it on the show, because I don't want to always agree with the listeners. And we do have this problem. I, I don't even know if it's a problem or if it just means we're right in tune with what you guys like. So maybe it's it's a positive thing, but we're always within a half letter grade usually of what you guys think of the show, guys and girls. And that's the case here. I literally wrote down 90 out of 100. It was an A-minus, but a low A-minus. I'm one point below where you guys were. Um, I think it just crossed the threshold because of the main event. Even though I had two A-minus matches preceding it, you know, again, the six-man was weak. Uh, The North American Championship was good, but it was let down by the crowd. And the opener, even though it was filled with great spots and super entertaining, it was a little bit sloppy. So it itself didn't deliver fully but that's one of the situations like I'm talking about Where you talk about you know some of the parts versus just an overall grade that match was better than the sum of its parts and this show was better than the sum of its parts it's just very similar in that regard but it was really tough to expect for much more out of this I don't know how it could have been better except for that opening match having fewer botches uh, and maybe Roxanne Perez winning the title that was one frustration there were three title matches on the show no changes and even though they've done the changes on TV, like Lyra beating Becky Lynch, obviously, and um, Obafemi shocking Dragon Lee with the cash-in, like, those are exciting, and it's cool they did them on TV. When you get a premium live event, it's a six-match card, three title matches, you kind of want a title change, and they didn't really give us one. So that was a slight downer. But again, you know, you that first match bangs, let's say, and Roxanne Perez wins that title, I might be at a flat A for the show. This was super entertaining, really damn good, uh, a great first step in 2024 for NXT. And I think it's fair to say most would agree that now going into Stand and Deliver, expectations are raised even further that this brand is gonna, I don't mean this, I didn't actually mean to say it, but Stand and Deliver, uh, an extremely successful premium live event on WrestleMania 40 weekend. Well, folks, that was your NXT Vengeance Day instant analysis. As I noted, we had a special instant reaction episode to The Rock Cody Rhodes, Roman Reigns controversy as it transpired Friday night on SmackDown. That show is waiting for you in our podcast feed. So do not miss it. And please make sure you listen to it before we return on Tuesday with our next WWE show. This plan as of right now is still to do the bonus interview episode this week. I could see timing possibly being an issue. We also have that, you know, event on Thursday now with WWE for WrestleMania 40. That combined with SmackDown on Friday, do we end up having to do another bonus show? I don't know what I'm going to do about the interviews yet. It is also Super Bowl week. So we're going to put a pin in that, but those will come sooner than later. They're relatively evergreen interviews. They were not about the Royal Rumble or things immediately succeeding the Royal Rumble. So those will come. Gunther, uh, Bronson Reed, Chad Gable, etc., all still coming to your ear holes here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. On the way out, allow me to hit you with the reminders as always, first, that the Getting Over Wrestling podcast- is all about the fire. So please remember, head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify, leave a five-star rating on Apple, take a little extra time, leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights all of that good stuff. It is where you can vote in the pre- and post-show polls we just referenced. It is also where you can send us tweets and DMs for the show that we will frequently read. And by the way, for everyone who did send us tweets and DMs about Cody, Rock, Roman, we're going to review all of those and we'll include many of them on Tuesday's WWE show. Please also remember, I happen to love the number... Five and I hope you do as well because for five dollars a month or fifty for the entire year, you can become an official. Getting overhead, just visit buymeacoffee.com/slash/gettingover. Sign up, you get exclusive audio, the fastest five minutes in professional wrestling, instant reactions to RAW. NXT, Dynamite, SmackDown every single week, along with exclusive news posts as well. Again, all of it at buymeacoffee.com slash over. It has been a hell of a week. It has been a hell of a 2024 so far. The Silver King is going to try to get some rest as Super Bowl week begins. I appreciate all of you lending your ear holes for this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. But at this point, it is time for me to sign off and leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.